This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And joining us right now as a guest we are extremely excited about. I don't think we've ever had him on the morning show here on the home of the Rangers. He is the baseball insider legend. And what a pro. What a pro. He gets on the phone. We're a behind-the-scenes show here uh, very behind the scenes show. Buster Olney. He tells Peyton, the producer, you can tell the guys have set me up for some Bruce Bochy stories. What a professional. <laughs> Buster good. Olney on the Diamond Factory Hotline here on Sean and RJ. Good morning, Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, You know, to quote the great Roger Clemens, uh, this is not my first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your uh, very good Bochy stories you can share? Yeah, so I met Boach when I was covering the Padres about 30 years ago uh, for the San Diego Union-Tribune and actually played in a rec league uh, basketball, uh, on a rec league basketball team with Boach uh, and some of the other Padres. And you look at it, Boach, and of course, you know, when he ambles out to, to make pitching changes, he's, he, he, you know, six foot three, he's got the huge head that's, you know, size eight. Uh, and you think his game is all rebounding. He's got like a nice 12 to 15 foot jump shot. Oh, and it was just, it totally surprised me, but like he, he's, uh, you know, getting the ball up by the, by the free throw line and nailing it down. And I mentioned that one on San Francisco radio and he kind of growled at me the next day. He goes, yeah, just keep telling people that keep telling people <laughs> that I got more to my game than just getting bored. <laughs> he's a terrific manager. It's a, to me, it was a great addition, uh, especially given the nature of the team that they have where, you know, they've got a lot of veterans, and I think the veterans respond to Boach. What were you more surprised by, Buster, that Boachy took this job or that DeGrom signed here? Uh, that, uh, well, you know, it's funny because I actually thought uh, that both were very possible because I, you know, communicated with Boach quite a bit after he left the Giants. And I knew he wanted to manage and that that was really important to him. And so you knew when Chris Young, you know, someone he knows uh, is in charge, there was a chance he was going to land there. DeGrom, absolutely, I thought he was going to wind up with the Rangers as the, the offseason began. Um, you know, I, I wrote a couple things last summer about how there were rumblings uh, among uh, folks in the Mets organization, people in the Braves organization, that he wanted to leave. Like he was kind of – he was kind of done with being in New York. And if uh, he was presented with an opportunity, he would go elsewhere. I think once the Braves re-signed Charlie Morton, that largely took them out of the DeGrom conversation. And then I, you know, as the, as the postseason or offseason began, among other stupid predictions that I had, <laughs> I did say I thought DeGrom would wind up with the Rangers because it just seemed like a, a great fit for him. Uh, and obviously for the Rangers who were trying to jumpstart the franchise, a great fit for them. 
But Bochi like ran a dynasty and where were the other offers? I mean, you had to, yeah. we're the home of the Rangers and everything, but it's like you had no other better options than this. No, he didn't. Uh, I thought at one point when the Padres managerial opening, uh, wow. you know, developed that he might have a shot there because he had the history with them. But, you know, he was passed over for them. He didn't get serious looks, I think, at other places. And it just comes down to the idea, you know, for years, if you weren't, uh, you know, someone who was considered to be tied at the hip at the front office, if you weren't speaking the language of analytics, then you weren't getting a look. I really think that there's been the, a pendulum shift the last couple of years where, you know, Jace Tingler goes to the San Diego Padres and you guys saw, you know, and I think Jace is a great baseball guy, but the, by the end of his time with the Padres, you had players griping about him constantly. And, you know, they were, I, I think, making excuses and blaming him. And, and I think, uh, you know, we saw last year with Buck Walter's success uh, with the Mets, with Bob Melvin doing so well with the Padres, the conversation uh, in front offices is much more about, you know what, it's good to have an experience hand. It's good to have somebody who's got uh, credibility in the eyes of the players, and Boat certainly starts this job with a lot of that. So this is – obviously it's a credibility hire uh, instantly. Yep. Um, but, like, you know, we just saw – and his temperament's completely different, but he's is he not as removed from the game as, say, LaRusso was where he was completely – you know, out of his element at that point of his career. Yeah, I would agree with that. When Tony was rehired by the, you know, by the White Sox, people around the sport were shocked. They were not shocked here. And I, and I know from, you know, my communication with Boach that, you know, he's been someone who's watching this very closely. I think he managed the team from France in the last WBC. Uh, he's wanted this opportunity. And I still say, and, and I should have mentioned when I talk about, you know, sort of the older managers having success, my God, Dusty Baker. <laughs> yeah. you know, going to the Astros, and they win the World Series with him. Um, you know, Boach, in his time as a manager, uh, I think we can say this, he was the best uh, person in running a bullpen of any manager that I've seen. Showalter probably was a close second. Mm. And so if you're, you know, the Rangers and you're looking at, how do we overcome this Mount Everest challenge in the American League West? You get the defending champions. You get the up-and-coming Mariners. The Angels, I think, are going to be better this year. Uh, they're going to have to have a, an excellent and efficient pitching staff, and I think Boach is going to give them that. Talking with Buster Olney, ESPN uh, Baseball Insider. Buster, when you look at – you referenced the DeGrom signing and, and how he wanted out of New York – there was a little bit of discussion after DeGrom signed here, a little bit of chatter in, in, you know, sort of the analyst circles that, well, this this seems like another version of potentially like the A-Rod deal where maybe the Rangers just ended out kind of bidding against themselves and, and throwing more money at it than anybody else. Do you think that it's more than just the contract factor for DeGrom that he came here? Do you, I mean, do you think he sees like, hey, there is a future here to, to build with with the Rangers or is this an instance where the Rangers bid against themselves? Well, uh, I do think, uh, and look, only DeGrom's agent knows for sure exactly what he had in hand. I haven't heard anything higher than the Mets offer, which from what I understand was something in the range of like three years and $110 million. Um, So the Rangers obviously blew that out of the water. uh, But I do think the comparison with Alex Rodriguez and his contract is that because at that time, the only way the Rangers were going to get Alex would have been if they completely blew the field out of the water with an offer. And I think that was the, to some degree, that was the case with the Rangers because 
you know, they haven't had success in recent years. Um, you know, it, it's going to be a challenge in that division. And so I think they needed to significantly outbid the field. The part that, you know, only DeGrom knows is, boy, if the offers were actually close, would he have preferred the Rangers? My sense is, from talking with Mets people, as I say, like he was, you know, I, I think tired of walking into a clubhouse and having to deal with 25 idiots every day like me, <laughs> um, you know, with media members where he can go to Texas and, and he can, uh, it's, it's obviously more low-key, uh, Boach, I'm sure that he and Boach are going to hit it off big time. You know, I'm sure he and Chris, you know, uh, hit it off big time. So I, I think the Rangers probably did uh, blow, blow uh, you know, everybody out of the water because they felt like they had to. But, you know, I, I wonder if the Texas was uh, DeGrom's preferred destination all along once the Braves are out of it. Do you think they are tapped on, on future spending? Or, I mean, because this is two off-seasons in a row where they've spent a ton. Or do you think this is just the new norm for Texas where they're going to be involved in these sorts of acquisitions every year? Yeah, my sense from what I understand uh, that what happened, and, and let's face it, the, I think the, of all 30 teams, the team that was affected most by the pandemic and the 2020 shutdown were the Rangers because they opened up a new ballpark and this was going to be their great unveiling. You know, this is going to be the great opportunity to sort of restart the franchise and they lost that. Uh, from what I understand, ownership going into this offseason basically stepped up and said, look, we need to, to reinvigorate this franchise. And, uh, you know, the owner basically told Chris Young, do what you got to do. And so we, we know that they spent big last winter with Seager and Simeon. They step up this winter. They build this pitching staff, which is, you know, potentially could be great. Uh, I think there are a lot of injury concerns about it. Uh, and I think when ownership gets involved, you do tend to see, uh, you know, shifts back and forth, like a pendulum swinging. One year, the owners will get involved. They spend big. And if it doesn't go well, and there's a chance it won't go well, and if it doesn't go well, you can see the owners coming in saying, you know what, I'm turning off the spigot. Is this a destination franchise now? Not yet. I think they have to win. Uh, I think that – you know, if if they have a good year, and I think there's a chance that they make the playoffs if, you know, if Valdi stays healthy and, and Gray stays healthy, uh, you know, obviously if DeGrom, you know, makes more starts than he did in the last three years, he had 38 starts in the last three seasons with the Mets, they probably need 25 to 30 out of him. If that all happens and they make the playoffs, then absolutely yes. I mean, you know all the players who uh, live in the offseason around, uh, you know, the DFW area, and so I, I do think if they climb, then, then, then that absolutely could become a team where people want to play. Uh, Buster only joining us here on 105.3 The Fan. Uh, Rangers will be against the Philadelphia Phillies April 2nd, Sunday night baseball. Buster will be on the uh, K-Rod cast uh, with that as well. Um, rule changes. Your favorite rule change that they are going to implement this year? I love the pitch clock. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, what's the conversation get, we're getting from the Player Association about the pitch clock absolutely reminds me of where we were on steroids in 2002-2003, where, you know, last summer the Players Association, you know, voted the executive board, una voted unanimously against these rule changes. And then you talk to individual players, guys, they are excited about it. <laughs> you know, Vinny Pascantino, the rookie for the uh, – or uh, second-year player for the Royals, I had him on my podcast last week. He was talking about how much he loved playing with us. Carlos Correa told me last week, the young players are telling him, you're going to love this. The other day I talked to Paul Goldschmidt of the Cardinals. 
he felt the same way. I think they all recognize that there's about 25 to 30 minutes of pure fat in every game (laughs) that's generated by pitchers walking around the mound or hitters stepping out of the box. And to see the, you know, the the product that we're going to see once the pitch clocks go into effect, I think it's going to have a dramatic impact on the pace. So, Buster, this is kind of being built up. Joey Gallo was talking about it the other day. Uh, but this is kind of like a turnaround year for baseball with the changes and more balls in play and batting averages going up and the banning of the shift and the pitch clock. Do you feel like this is a humongous momentum opportunity for baseball heading into this season? Yes, 100%. Um, these are not you know little tweaks. These are major changes. You know, For years, uh, the old school folks would say, hey, you know, baseball is timeless and it's not run by a clock. Well, now it is. And you start with that change and then the ban on uh, defensive shifts in the infield. And then you have this rule uh, about how many times a pitcher can step off, how many times they can throw to first base. That's all going to lead to more action on the bases. Um, and then the larger bases themselves, which I think are, you know, I've had managers and, and general managers tell me they think that that, the impact of that, uh, of having what you know, Alex Gore, the manager of the Red Sox, refers to as the pizza box at first base, is going to lead to a, a lot more offense and a lot more action. You know, last week when uh, Major League Baseball did a presentation, uh, uh, you know, sort of rolling out these rules and trying to explain to media about the rules, they had a graphic that they determined that you know, the in recent years had, had dribbled to you know one uh, ball put in play every four minutes. They believe that with these changes, we're going to see it, you know, one ball put in play every two and a half minutes, every two minutes and 45 seconds. That, that's going to feel like a dramatic change. And I, as I told you, you know, the players at, uh, you know, the grassroots level, I, I think they're excited about it. And I think that they're going to be griping in March and April about some of these rule changes. But by the time you get to May and to June, I think – the vast majority of the players will have made their adjustments. What's the next big shift on the horizon? Do you think for like, if they, I mean, they've done all these sweeping changes. Is there a, a next battle to be fought? There's no doubt about it. <laughs> the, the question of how far they go in implementing the electronic strike zone, which is on the horizon. And I do think that probably, you know, sometime 2024, uh, 2025, you're going to see the implementation of a challenge system like we saw in the Florida State League at the end of last year. Each team goes into a, a game with three challenges of a ball strike call. Uh, and what that does is you know, it means that the umpires, generally speaking, will keep their authority that they have now. But if there's an egregious call, and you guys, like me, every game you see calls that, that feel like they're pivotal in a moment, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that those could be challenged – I think that's uh, you know that that is going to be another dramatic shift, and it does feel like that baseball right now there's more sentiment in going in that direction and maintaining all these nuanced skills of catchers rather than going pure electronic strike zone where you know the home plate umpire is merely uh, administrating the game and no longer calling balls and strikes. I think they feel like that going to that right away is probably a, a bridge too far. Buster, Derek Holland just texted us uh, while you're on and said, I may have just missed this. Did Buster say that pitchers were in favor of these changes or is it just hitters <laughs> speeding the pitchers up on the mound? No, it's funny. Uh, and, and, you know, Derek obviously knows much better than I do. Uh, Probably not. But I will tell you that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I will tell you that managers, pitching coaches I've talked to believe that while, you know, for a Kenley Jansen, uh, for a Kevin Gossman, uh, you know, pitchers who have these funky deliveries who take a little bit more time, yeah, there's going to be an adjustment period. But the pitching coaches and managers believe that in the end, this is going to benefit the pitchers more than the hitters because the hitters are, you know, going to be out of rhythm. The other day, uh, I was in Mets camp and Max Scherzer was throwing, uh, you know, a live batting practice session with the clock. And you could see, you know, Pete Alonso, who seems to go through his plate appearances with a thought balloon over his head, <laughs> and Francisco Lindor trying to keep up with, you know, Mad Max going aggressively, staying on the mound, attack, attack, attack. There are a lot of managers and coaches who feel like that in the end, this will actually, that part of the rule change will actually benefit the pitcher. Some of the other rule changes, the defensive shifts, are clearly going to benefit the hitters but they think the pitchers will be in attack mode more than they've been in recent years. The Rangers are actually going to be the first Sunday night baseball broadcast this season, April 2nd, hosting the defending NL champion Phillies. Buster going to be reporting for that game. And, of course, it's going to be the return of K-Rod as well. This was just as great as we thought, man. We'd love to have you back anytime. Thank you so much, and have a great weekend. I would love to come on again. I can't wait to hear what Derek texts you next. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah. We'll tell you the follow-up. We'll tweet it to you because he's definitely opinionated. Thank you, Buster. Oh, yeah. No doubt. See you guys. Uh, The great Buster Olney on the Diamond Factory Hotline. Good job, Bobby Belt, lining that up. Mikey Bassick leads Crosstalk if he remembers next. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.